our job is to is to engage and and if you read through the read through the gospels Jesus is always constantly trying to get people to engage in his process of of proclaiming the kingdom of God and building the kingdom of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 it says for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved it is the power of God. There's another version of, 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 of translation of this verse that says the message of the cross doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Dying to yourself doesn't make sense for the average Christian either. But those that are truly engaged understand that in, in the process of dying to self is that's where we really start to live. We find true life. You know, the cross, that it represented defeat, but for the believer, it is an image of victory. The cross that represented guilt, for the believer, it is an image of grace. The cross that represented condemnation, for the believer, it is an image of freedom. The cross that represented pain and suffering, for the believer, it is an image of healing and of hope. The cross that represented death, for the believer, it is the image of life. Of course, the cross looks foolishness to the unbeliever. But do we see how beautiful and how attractive the cross is for the engaged believer? Taking up your cross and dying to myself, that sounds like torture. That doesn't preach well. That you need to die to yourself, right? We, 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 we think that a life that Jesus is proclaiming, a life that Jesus says that we are to live, would make us miserable. It is. So the question is, is this what it means when Jesus says to follow Him? That He wants us to wake up every morning and have a life of misery. What we need to understand is when we die to ourselves, and we completely surrender to Him, there's a surprising side effect to dying. Because then we truly discover life. And that's the mystery. We find that giving up our lives gives us the life we so desperately are seeking. So many people are looking for life. They're looking for joy. They're looking for contentment. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for purpose. And all these things in, that the world offers. And they still come up empty. Why not try Jesus? In Luke 9.23 it says, Then He said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be My follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. It doesn't say if some of you. It says if any, any of you. So if we were standing there, we would hear Jesus say, if you want to be my follower, you need to do this. And I think Jesus is still making this statement to the church today through Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, we just read this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of 
of God. It's the power of God. Denying self and following Jesus is the power of God, salvation working through you. You know, right after, right after Jesus gave this invitation, it follows up in Luke 9 with three people who are eager to be followers of Jesus. To take him up at his, his offer. However, as they think about how following of Jesus will affect their lives, they begin to make excuses. And as they try to negotiate the terms of their commitment with Jesus, it becomes clear they're not ready to engage with Jesus. We meet the first one in verse 57. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57, it says, As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Man, I've met these people. I mean, these words sound impressive, don't they? They, 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 they? It seems that they understand exactly the type of person that Jesus is looking for. They know the right words to say. I mean, this statement of commitment to Jesus says, I will follow you wherever you go. You know, maybe there's been times in our life that we prayed those words to God. Whatever you want, I'll do. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want from my life, I'll be. Whatever. And that sounds like engagement, doesn't it? It sounds like he's, this, this guy's ready to be engaged in the kingdom and engaged in what Jesus is doing. There's no restrictions. No boundaries, no borders. Wherever. But look at verse 58. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay His head. Jesus then turns to this man that says, I'll go wherever. And He says, Man, I'm homeless. When you hang out with me, there's a good chance there's going to be nights that you're not going to be very comfortable. You know, it's not five-star hotels every night. I'm a travel ministry. I got the message of the kingdom to preach. I got places to go. I mean, Jesus makes it clear up front that following Him won't mean going from town to town in comfort. Jesus has never, ever told us that following Him is going to make our flesh comfortable. The man, like many of us, says, I will follow you wherever. Then Jesus points to a place that will threaten His comfort, His security, and He asks, what about there? What about there? And the man, I can just... Did, did, I, did I say wherever? That's not really what I meant. I didn't mean wherever. And it's interesting that we're left with the impression that this wannabe follower of Jesus walked away. 
See, it's easier to talk about following Jesus, but it's another story completely to actually engage. Engaging with the kingdom will mean making some life changes. Engaging with Jesus literally means that you will go where Jesus is going. You'll follow Him. When we say yes to following Jesus, we almost always need to say no to something. When you say yes to following Jesus, you are going to have to start saying no to other things. When you say yes to Jesus, many people have to say no to hanging out with the circles that they used to hang around with. That that happened to me. I lost a lot of friends. When you say yes to Jesus, it may mean that you have to say no to advancing your career. When you say yes to Jesus, it may mean saying no to living around your family. When you say yes to Jesus, it could mean saying no to living and raising your children in the comfort of the United States of America. When you say yes to Jesus, it might be saying no to continue, continuing to live with your boyfriend or girlfriend. When you say yes to Jesus, it might mean saying no to government leaders that do not have a biblical worldview. When you say yes to Jesus, it might mean making your parents, your grandparents, or maybe even your children upset with you. When you say yes to Jesus, it might mean saying no to your feelings and finding your identity in who Jesus says you are. When you say yes to Jesus, it might mean no longer sleeping in on Sundays. Saying, saying, I just stepped over the line right there. Say, say, saying yes to engaging with Jesus means saying no. And the list could go on and on and on on the things that we have to say no to now that, that we want to truly be engaged in Christ. We all come to Jesus and excitedly say, I'll follow you wherever. Then Jesus says, I have no place to lay my head. It's only then when we realize the true meaning of wherever. In Luke 9, continuing in verse 59, it says, He said to another person, Come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first, let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. This man was invited by Jesus to follow him. And we're not told his name. Had he agreed to follow Jesus, I think we probably would have known his name. There's a good chance that if this man would have agreed to engage with what Jesus was doing, we, we could be reading about the 13 disciples instead of the 12 dis- disciples. Jesus spoke the same words to, to the, the same two words that he spoke to Matthew and to the other disciples. He just said, Follow me. It appears that he wants to accept the invitation to follow. The first words out of his mouth is Lord, 
And that word Lord is referring to a relationship like a title between a slave and a master. He understands who Jesus is. Then, then he understands what Jesus is inviting him to do. But the second word out of his mouth is first. First. He wants to follow Jesus, but first, it's not a good time right now. He tries to offer an excuse that can put Jesus off for a little while, and Jesus doesn't seem to be interested in excuses. His excuse seems reasonable to me. I mean, he wants to go have a funeral for his father. Isn't Jesus being a little too harsh? Let the poor guy bury his dad. The thing is we need to point out is that this guy's dad isn't dead. He's probably in good health. What he's saying is, is let, let my parents pass away. Let me receive my inheritance. And then I'll follow you. When the man says, let me go with my father, it's like saying, when, when my parents die, I'll follow you. It's not that he isn't willing, it's just not good timing. He isn't saying no, he's just saying not right now. How many of us have been like this man? So how does Jesus respond to this man's excuses? Yeah, Jesus did not say, I understand. He didn't say, okay, when you have time, when the time is right. You know, he doesn't sound like me talking to people that aren't ready to engage. He, he, he did not say, when, whenever you're ready, I'll be here waiting for you. What he said was, let the spiritual dead bury the dead. That gives some indication of how Jesus feels about our excuses. You know, you contrast this man's response to the response of the first disciples that Jesus called to follow him. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, we read, One day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and He saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water. For they, they, for they fished for a living. Jesus called to them, Come, follow Me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed Him. You understand? It wasn't that they were out there just enjoying fishing because they were sportsmen and they loved, they loved to fish. They weren't trying to get away from their wives. No, this, they were fishing for a living. And they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. It says immediately. That's the commitment that Jesus is looking for. People that are ready to drop everything and engage. Again, in Luke 9, there's another person that looked like they were ready to engage with Jesus' mission to build the kingdom. In Luke 9, verse 61, he says, Another said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, Anyone who puts his hand to the plow then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. You know, apparently this guy missed the other two guys. 
You know, he wasn't listening when Jesus talked to the other two guys. And, and like the others, he, he agrees to follow Jesus, but not right at this moment. There's that word again, first. First. First, he wants to say goodbye to his family. Once again, that seems reasonable, doesn't it? Come on, Jesus, let the poor guy go tell his mom goodbye. But what you need to understand is that Jewish customs at this, at this time, wasn't, it wasn't about going home and just giving a, a hug and a kiss goodbye and taking off. It was a cultural practice when, when someone was going to leave their family and leave, leave in the area and all those that they were impacted with, that it would mean numerous parties and gatherings and dinners and all these thick farewell rituals before the person could, could leave. And it could last for weeks. Jesus almost seems annoyed that the man would make such a request. He told them, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus uses the analogy of someone plowing a field, but instead of giving full attention to the work, he's looking back. Jesus knows that the man's request reveals where his heart truly lies. It's not in following it's not that following Jesus isn't important to the man, but following Jesus isn't his top priority. And what Jesus is saying is unless this man is willing to leave everything behind, it just wouldn't work. This man, like so many others, wants to follow Jesus, but not with everything he has. He's not willing to go all in. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it, it says, Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking, these are scriptures we don't like reading. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now I could understand if, if Jesus would have said, a few will stand before God on judgment day, convinced that everything's fine, but God will say otherwise. But he doesn't say a few. He doesn't say some. He says many. Many who assume they were on the path to heaven will find out that heaven is not their destination. So here's the question. The things that we say we believe, Does it reflect in your life? Does your life reflect the things that you believe? The things that you say that you believe? I mean, if I was to say to you, how many of you believe that exercise and a healthy diet are important for good health? Would you say that you believe that? 
But if you, like me, don't live out that belief, do we really believe it? At the very least, we're not benefiting from that belief. If a man says his family is the most important thing to him in his life, but then he turns around and he accepts a better job, a better job, a higher paying job that requires him to be gone more and to work more, he has revealed what he truly believes. James tells us in chapter 2 of his letter, he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says, I have faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? It's interesting that James is asking a question here. If you say that you have faith, but you do not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And what he's saying here, a lot of people turn this and say, well, this is what faith looks like, is, is taking care of the poor. Yes, we are to take care of the poor. No, we, but he's using an example. He's saying if someone came to your house and you were talking with them, and it was freezing cold outside, and, and they didn't have a coat, you could see that their fingertips were turning purple. Their nose was red. You know, their, their ears, you know, they're starting to look like ice over. And all you do is say, I hope that you stay warm. My, my, my desire for you is to stay warm. But you do not give them the things that are needed for them to stay warm. You don't really believe you don't really desire for them to be warm. He says, what good is that? Faith is not a feeling. Being engaged in the kingdom of God is more than a feeling. Especially, you know, in... in Full gospel, charismatic, Pentecostal, whatever label you want to put on our church. They're big into feelings. I feel God is in this place. I have goosebumps. You know, we got a better thing than that. We, 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 we got the Word of God that says He'll never leave us or forsake us. I don't have to have goosebumps to know that God's with me. Goosebumps are nice. It's nice to feel the presence of God. But my life isn't dictated on my feelings. We, we live in an entire culture that is basing their entire life, what they believe about themselves, how they see themselves, making dramatic decisions physically about themselves based off feelings. And the problem with feelings is you can feel one, one way that one day and the next the other. We call that fluid. Whatever that means. And then James continues. James continues in verse 17. He says, So also, faith by itself, if, not, if it does not have works, is dead. 
And now you're thinking, Chad, this seems to go against everything you've ever preached here. I thought we were a grace church. It's not by our works. Right? We're not saved by works. What he's saying is, the things that you say you believe, it's garbage if it's not followed up by action. It's dead. It's a stinking corpse. If we don't have action to the things that we say we believe, it's worthless. We are we 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 should we're we should be a we're a laughing stock. We should be the most miserable people on the face of the earth. Jesus says it's not the ones that says Lord Lord but the ones that do God's will. Just, but listen to me, just as dangerous as assuming that what we say alone, or say that, oh, excuse me, just as dangerous as what we say alone shows that we're on the right road is the assumption that pointing to what we do moves us down the narrow road. Notice the ways they defended themselves to Jesus and Matthew, to God in Matthew chapter 7. It says, they will say to Jesus on the day, we prophesied. We drove out demons. We performed miracles. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have drove out a demon? How many of you have worked miracles? Just so you know, you can do all these things. How many of you have even prophesied? I mean, this is, these are pretty, this is quite the standard that Jesus is giving that these people are saying, these are our credentials. These are the things that we've done. Their confidence, though, is in their righteous acts and their good deeds. One of the ways you can know if you're truly engaged in building the kingdom of God is when you're asked, are you engaged, if your mind immediately goes to the fact that you go to church, put some money in a plate, and volunteer from time to time. The ultimate question that will identify us as an engaged follower, follower yep, isn't what you say, nor is it what you do. Are you confused yet? It's not, it's not just say, saying I believe something and it's not doing something that it shows that I'm truly a, a citizen of the kingdom of God and a follower and engaged in Jesus. I mean, those things matter, but only to the extent that they reflect the answer to Jesus' last question. This is the the dividing line that Jesus identifies. In verse 23 of Matthew 7, He says, I never knew you. I never knew you. So it comes down to a personal relationship with Jesus where you know Him and are known by Him. People like to highlight what they say, 
they like to point to what they do. Those things are more measurable. They're tangible. They're, 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 they're fleshy, right? They're, it's of this world. But Jesus identifies His engaged followers based on an intimate relationship with Him. What we say and what we do are really nothing more than an overflow of the relationship that we have. Jesus isn't looking for our words. He's not looking for our deeds. He's looking for you. And when He has you, when He has you, your words and your deeds just come from that relationship. You know, one of the most common reasons that people give for not following Jesus is they want to get their lives in order first. They want to get things put together. And that sounds noble. It's, it sounds like you're taking, you're taking the invitation of following Jesus seriously. You want to wait and start following Him uh, and, until you get your life turned around, till till you get some of the habits out of your life, um, till you start moving in the right direction for a little bit. When Jesus invites you to follow Him, though, you need to understand this, that His invitation comes to you right where you are. He comes, it comes to you right here, right now, where you are. He knows where you are. Right? Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes. God came to them and said, Adam, where are you? It wasn't because God didn't know where he was. He wanted Adam to know where he was. And God came to him. And Jesus comes to us. And he gives us this invitation to come and follow me. He doesn't want you to wait till tomorrow in hopes that you will finally be heading down the right path. He wants you to say yes today and He will lead you out of where you are now to the place that He desires you to be. The question that we all have to ask ourselves today is what would your life look like if you engaged with Jesus completely? No excuses. What would our church look like if we all were engaged in what Jesus was doing? What would our community look like if the churches corporately were engaged? No excuses in what Jesus has called us to do. What would our nation look like? What would the world look like? When you turn on the evening news and you get angry and you can't believe what you're seeing, it's the church's fault. 
I know that there is reluctance. I've experienced. You understand? See, sometimes you think the the guy up here behind this pulpit, lectern, whatever you want to call it, is different than you guys. I'm no different. I've faced the same questions. I've faced the same reluctance. I've I've faced the same temptations. I've faced all those things. And there's a reluctance to go all in for Jesus. I've got to say no to some things. There's some dreams and some hopes and some desires and things that I want that I might not get now. Most of the time you find out that you never really wanted them. And secondly, just because you, you say you're willing to give it up doesn't mean you don't end up getting it in the end. See, the problem is, is people confuse Jesus' desire for us to say no to everything and follow Him with Jesus wants you to not have anything. But I understand the reluctance to go in. We're all afraid of what we will lose. But Jesus says, do you love me? Do you trust me? Do you, resent, do you surrender everything to me? If you're willing, come and follow me. Be engaged in what I am doing. Be engaged in the things of the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Do we really trust Jesus with our lives? Are we willing to engage? You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.